Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Parted from me and never parted, never and always touching and touched, we meet at the appointed place. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, Spock Amuck, comes to you now via Fun's Funeral. A bit of news from the fleet before we arrive at the episode. Indeed, Pete, the intergalactic fleet, uh, as yesterday we were talking Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 3 and digging into uh, what has been quite a fun first half of that series. Really enjoying it. It's crazy. You noted this yesterday, Matt, just like Strange New Worlds now, uh, Kenobi half over for the season. Uh, Speaking of over, not yet started, Matt, but ready is our Ms. Marvel uh, podcast feed. Our final official preview is up ahead of this Wednesday, June 8th. Uh, premiere of the show on Disney Plus. Yeah, super excited for that show to launch, uh, and super excited uh, the next day, this upcoming Thursday, uh, to see the Ms. Marvel panel that will be at the Paley Center in New York, uh, seeing star Iman Vellani and others uh, slated to appear there as well. So that'll be an exciting, uh, an exciting way to kick off our first episode of the Ms. Marvel podcast discussing the first episode and that visit the Paley Center. That podcast discussion will be on our Marvel Friday. Yes, so if you're planning on getting your feedback to us for that, remember it's Marvel Fridays, Star Wars Saturdays, Star Trek Sundays from here on out. Bringing things squarely back to Star Trek, Pete, they said it would never happen, but... (laughs) On July 1st, Star Trek Deep Space Nine will be leaving Netflix. It's the last of the Star Trek shows to not be exclusively found on Paramount+, Plus, which means that starting July 1st, the only place to stream anything Star Trek, uh, at least in these United States, will be on Paramount+. Plus. feel like it's been a long time coming, and with all the non-Stranger Things problems that Netflix has been having, uh, probably overdue. Uh, and Pete, Paramount Plus, which increasingly has great stuff that's not Star Trek related. What? And the app problems seem to be less so. What? Watch, watch it as it grows. Uh, indeed. Uh, and Netflix eats it. <laughs> well, <laughs> and Deep Space Nine winds up back there. Um, some could, sort of wormhole. Could be. Although I think you might be able to chart Paramount Plus uh, and Paramount, the parent company, as maybe growing and netflix as shrinking so so who knows maybe it could be you know stranger things season five a paramount plus exclusive who knows but pete i know this in the united kingdom this weekend celebrating the jubilee and so forth uh on june 22nd paramount plus uk will be launching there uh launching with three strange new worlds episodes so yes they'll be saddling fans with a bit of a delay and release there uh but on launch day three strange new worlds episodes as well as the entire back catalog of uh, i guess at this point everything else star trek 
again overdue, but uh, overjoyed that our friends across the pond will uh, get a little closer to being caught up to all this great content. Last, Pete, but certainly not least, uh, as we had discussed on our uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi podcast this past week, Star Wars actress Moses Ingram on the receiving end of uh, a lot of discriminatory messages uh, via social media and so forth. And in, in addition to the really admirable and wonderful outpouring of support, both from general fans uh, as well as uh, social media on the Star Wars end, and specifically Ewan McGregor, Anson Mount uh, jumped into the conversation defending her as an actress, rejecting racist dialogues online and uh, saying that the entire Trek family stands with her. And it really, you know, it really was an inspiring moment as a Star Trek fan and looking at someone who's not directly involved with the Kenobi show or with Star Wars or with Disney, uh, at least most of the time, to see Anson Mount stand up, do the right thing, share his voice was just a really, really wonderful moment albeit one that was uh you know whose genesis was this you know these terrible comments made towards moses ingram as near as i can tell there is no separation between the actor and the character and uh applaud him and uh you know thank him for standing up you know people try to make this star wars star trek beef i love them both um and you know, given that Star Trek has suffered this with uh, Sinequa Martin-Green, um, hopeful that from here on out that won't be tolerated by people who see that. We need to call this stuff out. We need to confront it. It has to stop. With all of that now discussed, Pete, let's head into the mission briefing. On Vulcan... Spock heads to the traditional wedding slash combat arena with all the bells and hammers and bangs the gong to get the ceremony on. T'Pring is there in her wedding dress and points out Spock's ears have lost their points. Cue the horns. She recoils at his humanity. He's now in a Starfleet uniform as well. T'Pring tells the assembly she will not marry a human and chooses Kalafi, ritual combat. She chooses her champion, fully Vulcan Spock. They're both given their Lerpa axes. And then we get the music. Indeed. I mean, just fully leaning into what we will understand is the tone of this episode albeit i think anyone watching this particular scene cold open and so forth this is clearly a dream a hallucination uh an alien gas a holodeck something not real uh but with the music hitting its full force there spock notes that fighting oneself is illogical but fight nonetheless they do it's quite a good fight i mean particularly given there's some special effects trickery there um one that that again uh, is punctuated by not just kind of vaguely quoting the music, but just the full-on the whole thing there. Uh, and our Spock, or human Spock, is downed by the Vulcan one. Uh, the the killing move then, uh, then shown, albeit off-screen. But, of course, it's all just been a dream. 
As Spock checks the mirror. Yep, he does have proper ears. Although, Pete, I would argue that maybe they didn't quite have the lighting and or makeup quite right because they didn't look super like flesh tone. But listen, no one's perfect. Uh, Spock gives a gives a log recapping the Enterprise uh, having returned to Starbase One, needing repairs after the encounter with the Gorn. Ah, Pete, they said it was just going to be all serial, but look, reference to a prior episode. Uh, and indeed, while the ship is fixed, the crew, uh, for the most part, will be on rest and relaxation. Spock has agreed to assist Captain Pike in a diplomatic matter, but is awaiting his fiance as he straightens his quarters. They kiss and she remarks, the room they've been given seems very human. Having a hard time imagining a Vulcan has even slept there. He's redecorating, so she'll withdraw her criticism until he's finished. She thanks him for arranging accommodations for her colleague, Katil. They rehabilitate criminals by showing them the true path of Vulcan logic. Uh, Barjan Taur has been spotted nearby after instigating an uprising on Kepler 22B. Tapring says her partner can handle business while she attends to pleasure after Spock's duty interrupted them the last time they were together on their home world. She says they must prioritize their relationship, which Spock agrees, but he brings up the diplomatic responsibilities he still has. She expected no different. He says he will be free for dinner, which she looks forward to. In the briefing room, Admiral April explains the unusually private Rongovian protectorate controls a small but vitally important piece of territory between Klingon and Romulan space that is the fastest route to the other side of the Beta Quadrant. Pike, in the green shirt, asks how negotiations went with the Tellarites, and April plays the video of the Rongovian ambassador insulting his Tellarite counterpart. Rongovians are negotiating with the Klingons, and the Federation needs to strike a deal with them first, starting tomorrow morning when they'll meet with Captain Basso Legalia of their flagship, an old solar sail ship. April adds when they sign a treaty, the ship flies the flag of their new ally as tribute. La'an contacts Pike that the Rongovians are there now and insisting on meeting immediately. He tells her to send them in and Vasso and his first officer, Brax, will only meet with Pike. La'an excuses herself to do the security things as Brack, Brax inquires about Spock and Vulcan's voice in the Federation, which the Rongovians say sounds confusing. Pete, you referenced the new but old but new uh, green top that Pike is wearing, just looking insanely good as a leather version of it. I don't like the leather portion. I think it should all be the the softer fabric he has there. I mean, listen, I'll, I'll take the green shirt over no green shirt. They 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 got it to us, Matt. And, and the show has delivered on so many things we've wanted. But like a lot of times when they first break out these uniforms, I think they go nuts with the leather. I'll, I'll point back to like Picard's first alternate 
top that had a little too much leather and and then they figured out all right this this doesn't quite reflect well on camera we need to tone it back a little bit i'm hopeful they'll do that and nix the leather i think certainly from a from a costuming perspective you know what's the opposite of classic trek shirts that could double as pj tops it's outside leather tough guy leather so i I see the logic there it will be interesting a does it return uh b does it return slightly re re reimagined uh or do they just go with what they have already on the rack Uh, i don't know i do know this pete uh an amusing typo in my notes here because uh uh, as there's discussion with the Rongovians uh, regarding essentially how democracy can work, uh, my my notes say all memes have a voice in the Federation. I think it's supposed to be all members have a voice in the Federation, although I do like the idea that even in the 23rd century, Pike will open up his electronic mail and there will be girl looking at camera as house burns in the background and some sort of thing like, you know, perhaps th- that meme is entitled pike's negotiations with the rongovians or something like that <laughs> um references made pete up front easy to miss here yes uh, as there's this discussion of all voices being heard uh, and being expressed through voting uh rongovians are empathetic too says captain vasso uh which of course there it is plain to be picked up at the very end of the episode the solution with the rongovians is is empathy uh but they want to talk and talk right now Chapel and Ortegas go to sickbay to bring Dr. Mbanga to shore leave. He's been collecting data to share with Dr. Baroa, not his significant other, but an expert on non-invasive surgical techniques. As Chapel prompts Mbanga not to be late for his meeting, Ortega asks if she's excited to see Lieutenant Dever or if they need a signal. Chapel tells her no need since they're keeping it casual but she said the same thing about that gal on Argalius too but chapel says that was a one-time misunderstanding in which they were chased by live phaser fire Mbenga has retrieved his fly fishing hat for the biospheres laon checks them out in the transporter room ortegas reminds her she doesn't have to do it in person but she says it's the only way to make sure it's done right. And Benga asks what she and number one have planned for their leave. Chief Kyle laughs and Ortegas explains they sure stay. Indeed, uh, that prompting a chuckle from Mbenga. Oh, right. The nickname. Then he quickly realizes, ooh, uh, shouldn't be sharing that. Let's not talk about it. Love how Mbenga is trying to in a very congenial way, backpedal it. I don't know what I'm talking about. He just wants the out. Mr. Kyle, beam us down. Uh, But number one, wants to hear it. Uh, And she is told uh, that the nickname is Where Fun Goes to Die. Has Mr. Kyle heard of this? Nope. No. Nope. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Uh, As for Lon, she shrugs. We'll learn later. Lon apparently genuinely had not heard that as well, probably because... Uh, I don't know, Lon's nickname might be where fun almost goes to die before it goes to number one to die or something like that. Um, but nickname out there, uh, the uh, trio of Chapel, Ortegas, and Mbenga, along with out-of-focus extras, get beamed down. 
Spock returns to his quarters to find T'Pring waiting and apologizes as the negotiations commenced unexpectedly. She doesn't doubt his duty's importance, but they agreed they needed to make time together. She's put aside important work. She's also concerned Starfleet is causing him to behave in a manner of his human counterparts. She excuses herself and he sees the meal she prepared for them. Pete, it's clear in this scene, if not clear from the prior scene, that Tapring had come with the intent to descend towards a logically inconsistent gesture, which is to say, she's down to clown and, pa- and Spock is not picking up on this. And uh, not good, not good. We go to the credits here. This episode written by showrunner Henry Alonso Myers and Robin Wasserman, directed by Rachel Leiterman. We return from the credits in a Starbase One restaurant, uh, a waitress dressed in just a, a, a wonderfully classic Trek-esque bit of, you know, shimmering rainbow-colored cloth that just looks both 60s and the future. Uh, Chapel uh, and uh, Lieutenant Dever are, are getting along great. Chapel's similarly eager, Pete, this an episode with the subtext of ladies who, who have who have intentions, and that's beautiful, that's wonderful. Uh, she just wants to, let, let, let's step away here, but what about the food? Let's step away. What about the oysters, says Lieutenant Dever. Um, and indeed, since he wants them to stay put, he wants to talk about an us, Okay, Chapel, of course, was not thinking about an us, and uh, we get some of the distorted noise. We get a little bit of camera spin here as, as she's feeling a bit overwhelmed. She spots Spock uh, sitting by himself and uses that excuse to to go help her friend over there. Call me later. Overheard in the confusion, the the tuning out that he had a crazy idea. Uh, this Devers, you can't take a hint to to go have some uh, private time away from the restaurant uh, about her transferring to the Skylark. Um, so she goes over to Spock, exhales on her way there, back to Laon, who asks uh, why number one lets the nickname bother her. She says it doesn't, but she just hadn't heard it before. Lon says she hadn't, and she doesn't care. But number one worries, uh, not knowing, makes her out of touch. Lon tells her it's not because uh, she's a senior officer, but because she terrifies people. That's a compliment. They share a love of work when the ship clears out. Number one, after all, was looking... Uh, forward to redoing the duty rosters, and Laon was planning on checking the phaser power supplies in the armory. But Laon is contacted about a security breach in Airlock 4. As she asks the computer who's on rotation for backup, number one belays the request as she'll be Laon's wing woman. Laon says people are idiots because number one is fun. They arrive phasers drawn and open the airlock to find two ensigns in EV suits. We have discussed in prior podcast episodes how the kind of naked time, naked now, you know, everyone is drunk or different or that sort of thing. How that's a a tool that can be used to 
show how characters are acting different and therefore show underlying uh, similarities from week to week. What's interesting about this comedic episode is they're essentially using what is comedy to us, what is a straight story to the people uh, within the story to nonetheless still illuminate character things like, number one, don't you realize the difference is not that you are a senior officer, it is that you terrify people. Uh, and indeed, Ensign Christina and uh, the as of yet unnamed Bolian uh, Ensign uh, terrified there. We go back to the restaurant on Starbase One where Chapel and Spock chat. Uh, she says that he's wonderful and an idiot. He was supposed to be home for dinner, uh, and she slaps him in the head for that. Uh, just a wonderful playfulness in this scene that speaks not only to their easy relationship, but the easy relationship that they will continue to have in TOS. Uh, Spock is told that he was supposed to put uh, to put to Pring ahead of himself. Uh, Spock shares talk of his his dreams with her, his past of being isolated due to his human connections. Reference made also to Ichaya. Uh, it's then, Pete, that I heard the the sad voice from the yesteryear <laughs> animated episode. Ichaya, no, you know, a universally lovely and heartbreaking episode. Uh, the key, though, from Chapel is that Spock must show to bring his Vulcan side, uh, and they tease each other back and forth, and it's just so darned charming. Uh, clearly, uh, moving towards the relationship they will have, uh, they will share in the original series. In his quarters, Spock suggests a Vulcan soul sharing. Uh, with Tapring so that they can truly understand each other, taking this uh, advice from Chapel to the next level. Tapring consents and they initiate the ritual, which extinguishes all the candles in the room. They have switched bodies and don't know how to switch back. In a forest, or rather the forest fake view inside the captain's quarters, which We've seen before, which was a little confusing this time. Uh, if nothing else, I'd like maybe some dialogue in the second half. Like, Chris, you keep sticking with the hollow paper that shows the forests that you love. Or just something, so I can understand it better. But regardless, we're in the captain's quarters. Uh, April has bad news. The Rongovians aren't happy and indeed want to cancel all the, uh, the dialogue. A connection simply was not made. Pike is eager to... Uh, unpack the bag he is packing he's ready to get back in the room get discussions going uh in fact the Rongovians might be willing to do that just without pike they want spock uh, of course we know pete that they've just been body swapped so enter dramatic tension and hilarity uh indeed we go back to spock's quarters hours have gone by the two are still stuck in the opposite bodies uh, there's a ring at the door uh, it is said that uh, now is apparently a time for hijinks, and accepting the hijinks uh, may indeed be a logical course of action. But Pete, who's at the door? It is, of course, Captain Pike, and he apologizes for interrupting, but the Rongovians won't talk to anyone but Spock. He's engaged. They finally tell Pike their Katras have switched bodies and are not in a town. Spock doesn't want to subject to Pring to his responsibility, but she says she'll do it for the opportunity to better understand him. 
he should remain and find a way to reverse the ritual. And that, I mean, just full appreciation and praise here for uh, Ethan Peck and Gia Sandhu, the way in which they act and intone their voices in the first part of the story to make it clear that their souls have gone into each other's bodies, the, the way their body language reflects it so, so well done, but somehow they find a way to top it as the episode goes on. Yeah. They already as actors don't have a ton to work with in that, you know, neither character has a limp or an accent or a husky voice or any of that kind of actory actor stuff. Obviously, they're playing characters with emotions turned way down and largely monotone. I know Gia Santu had made reference, I think, in discussing with The Hollywood Reporter that when she did her first interview, uh, which was a, you know, recorded and submitted interview, um, how it was like, ah, oh, this is the first time I... They're telling me not to act. I guess I'll see if I get the part. She gets the call back, gets the part, and so forth. But it takes a really talented actor to not act, if you will, here, or to act a little bit different like the other one. I also appreciate in this scene, uh, Pike and the script just come out and say, oh, it's a body swap. It, it's made clear, if it wasn't already clear with the music and some of the circumstances and so forth, that you know, this is not the crisis of all ages. This is a silly episode. The stakes can be real. Ron Govian's trade passage, Klingon's Romulans, all of that. But among other things, we can just relax and have fun. And also, you know, could there be body swap episodes? Have there been body swap episodes of Star Trek that delve into deeper issues? Sure. And there's some of those have been very good and still discussed to this day, thinking of Tuvix and all of that. But that's not this body swap. This body swap is for our hilarity and for some character illumination as the story moves forward. You can do Freaky Friday on Star Trek, and it can be fun, as this episode proves. La'an beats number one to bad cop as they interrogate offending ensigns Zier and Christina to find out they were playing Enterprise Bingo and they were on the last square to sign the Scorch. They revoke their shore leave and assign them for the next two days to Chief Kyle, oh no, not him, to microclean the transporter pads. Once they're dismissed, number one and Laon admit they have no idea what Enterprise Bingo is. And Matt, am I seeing things or have they done uh, Rebecca Romaine's eyebrows in this episode to make them look pointed like a Vulcan? I noticed that too. Um, I must confess, Pete, I don't remember when, whether I noticed that last episode or it was just a long week and it's been a long time so it, it, there's been many uh many twists and turns since i first watched this episode on thursday i would agree that there's some there's some eyebrow styling that if i was a producer on the show i would say this could be a little ambiguous for whom i don't know you know because the star trek audience should know the difference between vulcans and humans and these characters have been around for 50 plus years but uh, an interesting choice. Maybe that's what cool kids do. Maybe that's maybe that's a new thing on hollow TikTok that you do your eyebrows in the Vulcan way. Uh, God, please tell me it's not going to last that long. 
what I do also get a kick out of uh, in this, and you know, again, so much of this show is about spending an episode, not a season, to tell us things, to tell us important things about the characters. The notion that Chief Kyle, who does not appear in this scene, who has been otherwise affable and good at his job, and you know, since he's lower on the rank scale, you know, respectful when he calls down to engineering, respectful in telling number one, I don't know what this thing is that the Enterprise bingo, ahem, ahem, all of that. That Chief Kyle is just this tyrant to the <laughs> ensigns, and that it's just the worst thing you can do is not just, you know, surely revoked and 23rd century peeling of potatoes and that you're gonna you know scrub toilets with a toothbrush or scrub the transporter thing with a whatever it's that it's under chief kyle the big meanie uh spock as to pring answers a call from katil say that three times fast who apologizes for disturbing her but barjan has refused to meet with her to surrender and will only speak to to pring Indeed, only you can do this to Pring. Hilarity ensuing. Uh, we go to the uh, Enterprise Dining Hall, which uh, Pete, some behind-the-scenes stuff on social media and YouTube and all that in the last week, uh, has indeed confirmed that the fancy-schmancy background in the Dining Hall is yet another use of the, uh, of the LED wall. Um, just as, as these episodes unfold, let's just make mental note how many scenes are happening in this one space, albeit where they roll in a set or roll out, of, you know, or roll in the engineering center console and so forth. Like they must be in there a third of the time for some of these episodes, not a complaint, just an observation. Uh, but anyhow, they're, they're they, uh, number one and La'an are digging into enterprise bingo. It is a game uh, to win. One must complete a series of tasks, all delightful. La'an got a list from uh, Ensign Zier. Uh, number one thinks that this is pathetic and does not understand the fun of Enterprise Bingo. Though La'an said that they did want to better understand the crew, so they could, by understanding Enterprise Bingo, maybe even playing it. Uh, and they do. They use the medical transporter to reflavor gum. Da ding! Uh, they, uh, they, they, fiddle around uh, with a with a phaser fight, confirming beep, boop, 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 that they are on the lowest stun setting. You ready. left out the turbo lift two-floor shout challenge. Yeah, which, Pete, I feel like that's maybe the easiest one, particularly since we, we now understand that turbo lifts go through these mountainous or, or cavernous empty spaces, but oh, oh, they have a scream. Okay. Um, and then with the phaser bit, ready, aim, wait. Laon does not wait, uh, and that has stung, number one. Is this fun? In the biosphere, Ortegas asks if Chapel told Dever how she really feels. No. Um, and then he tried to read her some of his not-terrible poetry. Ortegas sees to Pring. Chapel confesses she gave uh, Spock some relationship advice Ortegas tells her she'll get hit with a lirpa and bears actual scars uh Ortegas leaves them and Spock reveals what has happened in the hopes of a medical solution which will take time but Chapel points out the relationship opportunity to do to Pring's job because after all 
who doesn't love hijinks? Uh, all of this, Pete, by the way, taking place in the uh, Canadian woods section of Starbase One. It's <laughs> stunning how much it looks like it's within a 30-minute drive of downtown uh, Toronto. They flew all that mist in. <laughs> uh, the Enterprise, La'an, and Number One aren't really having fun, uh, but they're not done yet. What is the point of all of this? The point is to break the rules. But how can you when you're the women who make the rules? Uh, indeed, they must come up with new rules. We go back to Tapring as Spock talking to the Rongovians. Uh, and the Rongovians are suddenly very Vulcan-y. Uh, they talk about worries of uh, homogenization. Uh, Tapring uh, talks about wishing that he, as Spock, was out, uh, out less and home more. Uh, Pike intervenes uh, as Spock's friend, not as an official participant in the conversation, and talks about the commitment of the Federation, uh, about the personal costs, striving for excellence, all that it inspires, why the Federation, Captain, Captain Vasso, uh, Spock is the answer. Uh, he is everything that is great about the Federation, and Vasso is impressed and will allow a summation later, perhaps because Vasso understands that this is a scene and we're doing a B plot and we need to return to it. Not right now. Ethan Peck intones, inflects his voice up just an octave to make it seem realistic that a woman is speaking through his body. It is just such a tremendous yet easygoing way throughout the performance in this scene to make it believable. And Matt, you know, this is in full respect to our entire cast. You know, Anson Mount is in the number one, uh, you know, movie for the year of 2022 in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I can say that now and not worry about spoiling people. Um, but Ethan Peck, will continue to play Spock, but he is going to get picked up and, and wind up in the MCU if Star Wars doesn't come along first. In the Canadian lake sector, Mbenga's fishing. He's using those lures, uh, wearing the hat. You know, Pete, let your fish hat flag fly, I guess is the message. Uh, elsewhere, Spock as Tapring goes with Chapel. Uh, uh, Chapel there meant to be a benign presence. Uh, as they as they round up uh, barge on the baddie here, uh, Chapel is here to show that not everything is about logic. There's a debate logic versus uh, Tapring's association with the half-human Spock. Uh, Chapel flares in anger, uh, but Spock wants to keep things logical. Uh, so what does he want? Barjon was ready to reconcile, but now with this human around, he's not huffy huffy Vulcan that he is, uh, and Spock socks him. Uh, Mbenga and Chapel prepare Spock and Tapring for an exceedingly rare Kotrick transfer using nutrient-rich ground Nevillian sea urchin he's been dying to use since he picked it up, which he believes will become Federation standard eventually. Cortical stimulation will mimic the brain patterns of their bodies and switch their minds back. Chapel says they'll nerve pinch them for this eventually as they scream later chapel checks spock and he thanks 
Christine, who endorses honesty with himself. Later in his quarters, Spock talks about his fears that T'Pring saw him as a human, uh, more concerned with his work than his culture. In Starfleet, he is able to be half-human, half-Vulcan. He is simply Spock, which is a really interesting distinction for all the otherness that I think Classic Trek presented Spock with. The notion that he's able to just be himself in Starfleet is... This can't be the first time it's ever occurred to anyone, but certainly it's not something that's part of my everyday Trek consciousness. And I think it was a really great observation here. Uh, T'Pring feared that their relationship uh, was a duty to him uh, and they must both want to be there. They do. They kiss. They recline. And the camera does not. Pete, I think that thing that I was mentioning before that was on T'Pring's space radar, I think it's about to happen off camera. Pike tells the Rongovians they shouldn't ally with them by leveling with them. Vasso thanks him and leaves. April asks what Pike was doing, and he explains his hunch of a radical empathy. The Rongovian flagship flies the Federation flag. La'an and number one use a force field to sign the Scorch, the oldest unreplaced piece of the Enterprise's hull, for good luck as the Rongovian flagship passes by. In post-coital bliss, Tupring says she enjoyed being Mr. Spock for a day, and Spock confesses he punched Barjan, which she says is logical, having met him. Wonderful transition here as we go from Spock's quarters uh, to out the window to the exterior of space, then back into the Starbase One restaurant. Ortegas talks about being honest in a relationship, uh, and Chapel would only do that with the right guy. She ponders one, but but no, she won't say more as, as Earther music plays for we the audience, and we conclude this delightful romp. We have an incoming tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start, Pete, with one of the biggest threats of them all, the work-life balance. Between the Spock to Pring tension and where we ultimately know that's going to go, his worst fear is going to come true. She's going to reject him. Um, And then the aspect of shore leave and that number one and La'an not really into it, that they're, you know, more task and job oriented and like to do things on the ship. They like to be alone on the ship. Don't find the same things, the juvenile things in their opinion. And I have to say, I agree with them in that regard. Uh, with Enterprise Bingo, entertaining, uh, probably because they're more intelligent and people I'd want to hang out with. <laughs> uh, let's add to the list of threats, Pete, the Rongovians, who I think are presented with just the right amount of importance. Like, we get that there needs to be this thing because Romulans and Klingons and all of that. Um, but they're not so interesting that it's like, oh, I wish you had devoted more than 
what one third of the story to them the makeup um you know i think begins to hint at what pike later refers to as radical empathy and you pointed out before you know at the end of the first conversation he says captain vasso says that hey uh you know we're super into empathy and not many people understand that um and the kind of the modeled skin i think takes on this almost like a chameleon type of tone um in a way that the best of star trek on appearance somehow mimics the mentality of the species let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories pete the way the episode ends i have to confess i thought that my notes were incomplete when i went back to look them over uh the notion that Chapel's just pondering the right guy, maybe? No. But, uh, and I must confess, this being an episode that, yes, it's about many characters and getting to know them, but it's not necessarily a full on, like, this is the Uhura episode. This is the La'an episode. Uh, Pete, are we setting up for as soon as next week the Chapel episode? I think this was a form of chapel episode. And I think that's what the show's done so well through its first five is not to have to solely focus on one character. You know, we've had a Mbenga and a number one episode. So, you know, this is not 80s, 90s storytelling and that it needs to focus so intensely on one character you can weave in a couple i think too we're now understanding with five episodes under our belt how the show does build tension or storylines or that sort of thing from week to week enterprise bingo first introduced in the second episode and it was like it was clear enough from that quick reference what it was but also like we still had no idea exactly what the parameters were to realize that three episodes later oh it's an an important part of one of the storylines for this episode i think in relation to that you know does that mean we will get more mbenga resolution this season i think so will we get as i said maybe more of chapel beyond oh they're setting up the fact that she likes spock in tos I think that's a that's an easy ex, uh, expectation too. Well, first let's talk Enterprise Bingo, Matt. I sent you the full list so that you can make it out. Uh, we're also going to use it as the art for this episode on FantasticGeek.com. So make sure you check it out. But uh, let, let's go through this here. Um, let's start with. Uh, using the transporter to reflavor gum. Where did they do that, Matt? Uh, they did that in uh, in the medical transporter. Uh-huh. So now your gum doesn't just taste like uh, it did before. It also tastes like Dr. Mbenga's daughter. Um, I don't know that that's fully how the transporter works, although I will grant you I will grant you I don't know the real limits of, of transporter technology. 
Okay, then. So I'm right. Just say it, Pete. You're right. Um, the uh, the fourth one on the list here, just using the ones they have not uh, referenced, uh, setting the universal translator to Andorian. That sounds like a fun little prank. You know, <laughs> one day, I don't know, Pike is walking along and he's talking to whomever. He's trying to order his breakfast and there it is all in Andorian. So what's up with this? You know, well, it's the, the smallest of glitches. That's that sort of thing. I mean, that that seems passive enough. Thank goodness they have an unseen in this episode, Enar, on board in Hemmer to maybe intervene. Uh, Gravity boot hang challenge, something that you put there for our poll for this episode, makes me think of the the boots from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and uh, somebody, you know, putting them onto the ceiling and trying to stay in them as long as you can. Yeah, I think that's another easy one to do. You know, what are you ensigns doing here in the cargo bay? Oh, nothing. And if somebody spots the gravity boots, somebody who's not in on Enterprise Bingo, ah, you're just, you know, jerking around in here, get on out of here, that sort of thing. It seems like no harm, no foul. Um, the medical tricorder challenge, Vulcan marsupial, which draws its roots from Voyager. Um, well, then, can you tell me more? Because I don't, I don't understand... Is it that you need to scan a Vulcan marsupial? Is it the, I don't understand. I don't know that we're meant to understand, but can you tell me more about this Voyager connection? Uh, the doctor had had a conversation with someone where uh, the the mimicking of, actually it may be a marupial, the, um, the pad they're looking at on strange new worlds doesn't have the s for marsupial and apparently marupial is what is said on voyager okay so if nothing else it's a it's a you know a throwback reference um the food replicator challenge matt what do you know about durian fruit i'm gonna guess it's maybe not pleasant for most human or human-like folks to eat? So durian is real. Okay. It is a spiky uh, fruit from the uh, Far East. Think of, like, the Philippines. Okay. Uh, It is actually forbidden in many countries to transport it, uh, not through a transporter, uh, but uh, to move it because it smells like the foulest sewage ever. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing it on Wikipedia here. Um, some people regard it as a sweet fragrance. Others, let's see, this smell evokes uh, appreciation to intense disgust. It's been described variously as rotten onions, turpentine, and raw sewage. So I would say that's a fair challenge. Maybe a little earth centric, but that's definitely a fair challenge. I don't think I don't think the Bolians are like, oh man, turpentine soup can't wait. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's that that again a passive Please challenge. Please writers room uh, use turpentine soup in the remainder of season two. They're up to episode two oh nine. Please please put that in there at the very end. Turpentine soup, Bolians. <laughs> 
We have uh, sneaking a Tribble into the transporter buffer. Uh, I'll turn a blind eye to the fact that at this point in the timeline, if you if you go by the um, the short trek, uh, the trouble with Edward, that Tribbles are not super widespread. Um, again, I'll turn a blind eye to that. It's a fun little notion. Um, I guess we're imagining every junior officer has done this, or I don't know if Enterprise Bingo changes from time to time. Uh, I suppose both could be true depending on the needs of the story. Um, but yeah, beam down with the triple, beam back up. That seems so only problematic if the triple gets out and you know causes a green blight on a station or something like that. Sitting in the captain's chair, which we also had on our poll there. The EV suit challenge, an unsanctioned spacewalk, which of course our ensigns uh, are trying to do on their way to sign the scorch. So Matt, there are 11 items. The rules are to complete 10 from the list below and don't get caught. Um, I like that you can leave one out, particularly since I feel like the two most difficult ones are unsanctioned spacewalk and sign the scorch. Um, flip side being those two may work together, uh, which was the goal, of course, of uh, Christina and Zier. So uh, I like that there's a little a, a little wiggle room there. That's uh, this seems like a fun game for you know junior officers to be playing. The recreation of the original series setting of the Vulcan ritual combat wedding area. I mean, Matt, did you notice down to the chair that the priestess was sitting in? They had done that. Yeah, that that whole first scene, so well done, so evocative. I wanted to to look at every extra who was there. Everything seemed, you know, authentic and lived in. It wasn't uh, put everything in the same set of leftover robes from, you know, the Ten Commandments that we have back in the vault and put some, you know, put some shiny whatever on it just to make it look alien. Everything was really just authentic to Star Trek. No, just that that's how that's how powerful this production is. They have two Ethan Pecks that they can use at any time. Even Spock's quarters, Matt. The Vulcan loot is there. Uh, we have to get him and uh, Uhura in a duet at some point on this show. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, well, I mean, obviously we've seen her sing, and her singing is informed by TOS having her sing and all of that. Um, it can, you know... They can just make it happen. And I think that's part of the joy of this episode that, you know, it's okay to do a funny one every so often. And again, to still find character stuff in all three of the main storylines here. Um, they can still be completing this objective of getting to know these characters and, and not, not kind of doing a 1960s to 80s 90s whatever not not to do an old-fashioned tv episode where everybody is the same at the end um indeed pete talking about spock's quarters here i was thinking back to the first time we saw spock's quarters which was on this enterprise ostensibly uh on discovery using discovery sets and so forth and pete can you imagine a discovery comedic episode 
I think they've done plenty of comedic stuff. I mean, as an episode onto itself, it's not been in the tone that they've established. I would agree. And it'll be interesting. You know, of course, Discovery is our foundation for the Kurtzman era of Star Trek. And though I think out of the four seasons we have best loved seasons season one or two would be in the top two and then vice versa um i feel like strange new worlds is continuing to show a different way that star trek can go and it will be interesting to see does discovery change for this fifth season based on what they're getting you know from from strange new worlds does discovery stay the course because that's more the tone of that show um It'll just be interesting. I'm certainly not wishing Discovery to end sooner than not, but if they've been told internally, for example, season five is it, or season five, season five and season six are doing back to back, that's it. You know, does that warrant a change? Does that warrant staying the same, or do we just celebrate as in the best of Star Trek in the '90s? Have one show that's one flavor and one show that's still a Star Trek but a different flavor, and the contrast is part of what makes both fun. I don't know that the shows necessarily have a a flavor i know some people have derided discovery that the fate of the universe is constantly on them uh wait a minute like every other star trek before this like that's always been the case they've done plenty of comedic stuff okay they don't do a start to finish lighthearted episode but could they i think it's absolutely a possibility and again we'll we'll see when and if that happens speaking of happening matt the the spock chapel dynamic they get warm in here it's it's great that they don't feel the need to have the first season of this show be the crew comes together for the first time. Obviously we have some stuff from discovery where we know number one, Pike and Spock have been together for some time and all of that. Um, but I think too, when you think of chapel in particular, the character has been around so long. I don't know that anyone is crying out for, you know, chapel, the recruit years versus chapels there. She has, you know, by and large, the connection with Spock or, or, or a version of the connection with Spock that she has in TOS. And let's play with that from there. Let's build on that foundation as opposed to building it uh, from, from nothing. I mean, heck, we have that with Uhura. She's our lens into the newness and all of that. We don't need to, to again, then do it with Chapel. Uh, and among other things, I'm just amazed. You know, here, here they are in the real world, five episodes into this show, and Jess, both and e- Jess Bush and Ethan Peck have a have a chemistry there that is greater than the time they have spent on screen together as characters. And knowing where the relationship between the characters in a largely unresolved place will go i mean we know that to bring thing what the destination is there so you know is chapel in one way or another responsible um you know for what ultimately happens i'm not 
saying that Spock wouldn't participate in a relationship that he's not an equal part, but does that somehow create the tension? They've, they've front loaded a lot of the idea of Spock's half human side of his duty to Starfleet, not prioritizing her as being why she'll ultimately declare Califi um, and, and choose a champion that Kirk will wind up fighting in the classic Amok Time episode. But, you know, I'm really looking forward to how they're going to continue to develop this relationship. But Matt, there's a complication coming for Chapel. Is that Dr. Roger Corby? Yes. So uh, series co-showrunner Akiva Goldsman replied to a tweet this week. Somebody had asked about Roger Corby, who uh, I believe the episode is um, something about little girls. Uh, what are little what, girls made what are, of? What are little girls made of? Okay. And uh, they're apparently going there. Like, I was impressed when Akita Goldsman mentioned at the uh, the Strange New Worlds premiere that we attended that his first convention was 50 years ago and he's been playing Star Trek since 1975 and now he gets to play it every day. And now he's going to reach for this character at some point. We don't know. Is it a season one situation or finishing up season two right now are they already renewed for a third season and you know episode 301 is you know uh who who took roger corby or what have you uh but they're apparently going there and i think you know a, a constant discussion uh in modern star trek has been what's the What's that right mix of nostalgia versus new stuff? And Discovery, I think, has been by and large successful. But what did they choose to do after two seasons? Completely abandon the time they were in. I think in part because, you know, from a story sense, it was like, well, we can't go here and we can't go there. There's, there's all these can'ts. How about we go to a far future where, you know, we, we can see whoever we want. We could do whatever we want. We can kind of completely reset uh, the Star Trek universe experience for them um and i think that has that has been a great change to the show that's been a great way for that show to evolve add to it here um obviously we're not going to be doing time travel to that degree that permanent degree in um in strange new worlds so let's use that as a positive let's use some of these character connections that are meaningful to the audience and again can help inform and illuminate these beloved characters who basically did not change for 70 episodes of classic Trek. Yes. Had some degree of evolution in the movies, but you know, chapel sure didn't chapel was just there. Oh, look, it's major Barrett as Dr. Chapel in the motion picture. That's about it. You know? Um, so I would welcome all of that. I would also Pete, I'll just say generally speaking, um, having, seen a lot of these classic Trek episodes in my teens and rewatched them just as an adult. Uh, I remember some of the costume choices in that episode, uh, the costume, the way they costumed 
the character of Andrea. And I just want to say I approve of that episode. Lastly, for me, Matt, I have a theory that Ortegas might be the most fun character on the Enterprise. Um, I I think some of that is Melissa Navio's performance. I think some of that is the construction of the character where she's at rank wise. Like, fine, she flies the ship and she's a hotshot pilot, but she also doesn't have the responsibilities of making sure that three shifts of people in engineering are on their A game. And if Bruce in the third shift is sad because he found out, you know, uh, dad won't be alive in a year well then that could affect dilithium like she's just there to do her job she's there when she clocks out to go to you know to go on personal time to do whatever to, to follow her pursuits and all of that and there's a freedom to this lower ranking officer that is is baked into the character in, in a way that's been baked out of number one that's been baked out of la'an and so forth with that let's go to hailing frequencies Healing frequencies open, sir. We start, as always, with our Twitter poll, where, Pete, the options were as follows. Uh, well, rather, the question was, what would you do to try and win Enterprise Bingo? Because you know what, Pete? I know I sometimes we half joke about it, sometimes not. Uh, I'm not giving poll options so people, so the, the, so the wrong kind of people can be searching for hashtag Star Trek or hashtag Star Trek Change the World or Discovery or whatever and just give a down vote because they want a down vote. Nuts to that. What would you do to win Enterprise Bingo? Uh, one choice was set the Universal Translator to Andorian, 6.1%. Sit in the captain's chair, 39.4%. Uh, which, by the way, Pete, I didn't say this during theories. I guess it counts to sit in the captain's chair when you're invited to the table at his quarters. Like when you're invited to captain's chair at table. Um, at least that was the implication that we got from Ortegas when Uhura was headed there. Uh, Gravity Boot Hang got 3%. And then the best way, according to our voters, uh, that uh, you try and win Enterprise Bingo, Phaser Stun Duel got 51.4%. Uh, some replies, first from James the Sagacious, Big Killing on Twitter. Great writing and great acting. Sci-fi actors just don't get the credit they deserve. A great twist on Star Trek negotiations. Lower deck style humor and workaholic romantic shore leave adventures. Spock has great chemistry with his fiancée. And a certain co-worker, look at that as James is trying to be spoiler-free, uh, James concludes by saying, nothing groundbreaking or new, but it still is very fresh. Bad cop! <laughs> uh, next, Andre Yeager, Dr. Apollo 1983. This episode had a totally different feel. A lot of comedy elements to this one. The Spock to, bring, to Pring body swap was a nice touch. Had to be hard playing a different, non-emotional person, but they pulled it off. Great writing as always. Uh, from Strange New Tweets, that's K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Nice to see episodes where there aren't galactic-wide implications and are just more fun. Peck looks better as a human. Sorry, Spock. Loved the use of the TOS music during the Spock's duel. Have we ever seen a spacewalk without EV suits before? Classic body swap. Fun episode. Fun with a PH. Uh, and Pete, I don't think we've seen a spacewalk without EV suits, but... Once again, there they are on the LED stage using it in different ways. So, again, so much of this show is in one space, and they're really figuring out how to use it. So many novel solutions here, keeping it fresh. 
Uh, next up, JT Adkins. JTA is me. I still need a voting category. Or pardon me. I need a voting category labeled hijinks. I really appreciate Star Trek Strange New World's willingness to mix things up. Awesome. Tense submarine movie last week, followed by, a, by fun character-motivated hijinks this week. Keep them coming at Star Trek on P+. Uh, next, uh, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. What a nice shore leave episode. Oh, you know what, Pete? I have to admit, I had not thought of this as a shore leave episode through the lens of classic Trek shore leave where crazy things happen like a bunny. So, But he's totally right. Uh, nice shore leave episode. I was ready to dislike this episode just from the ridiculous title, but it was good fun. I did not expect a dose of Freaky Friday in my weekly Star Trek, but... As with most body swap stories, it was really a great way to let those characters uh, get uh, get to better appreciate each other. It's a shame, though, knowing what will become of their relationship. I also enjoyed the casual dynamics of the other characters' interactions. My one glaring complaint about this episode, no hammer. They've really done this character a disservice in the first half of the season by keeping him in the background too much. I mean, he got more screen time in the premiere, and that was a... T- a two-second appearance, grr, but Spock Amok was good fun. Uh, and next, Pete, Mike Carrier, Mike and Cleave 6-6. Episode 5 may maybe not the best episode of Season 1, but it seems uh, any episode of Strange New Worlds is probably better than almost everything else on TV. Hashtag Star Trek nerd for life. <laughs> uh, and last tweet here from AMC, that's at Ann Coltonum. What a fabulous episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. You have to love these more lighthearted episodes. Una and La'an letting their hair down. Uh, Spock and T'Pring walking in each other's shoes. It was just delightful. Looking forward to listening to the podcast. And then Pete, the Vulcan salute there. To the email inbox we go where we have these following thoughts from Stacy. Hi, Matt and Pete. Kudos to whomever on the production team chose to air this humor-filled delight immediately following the heaviness of the Memorial Day episode. I was so excited at the first scene when I thought we were going to do a Vulcan wedding. But no, Spock is having stress dreams where his two sides have to fight. What a cool scene that was. Still holding out hope we do get a Vulcan wedding. I was so happy to see T'Pring back. I'd hoped she wouldn't end up being a throwaway character that Spock only sees once every other season or so. The chemistry between Ethan Peck and Gia Sandhu was amazing. The look to Pring gave Spock when he promised to be home for dinner. Woo, that look said, don't make promises you know you can't keep. (laughs) And then when they switch bodies, always here for a body swap ep. They did such a good job playing each other's characters. I like that they both chose to tell someone the situation. The usual trope is to keep it a secret and go from there. But this episode episode proves that you can still have hijinks and shenanigans, even if it isn't entirely secret. Loved Pike's reaction and Chapel's eagerness to help. Number one and La'an being where fun goes to die, fueling their desire to have fun was great. I love that they decided to play Enterprise Bingo, but why it was in list form and not a bingo card. Uh, but it didn't ha- I didn't quite have the same feeling for them since they make and enforce rules being broken. Going out to the last panel from the original Enterprise to sign was cool. Number one signature was great. I forget how tall Rebecca Romaine is until she's standing next to another woman. As a six-foot-tall woman, I can relate to her being uh, unintentionally intimidating, although I do occasionally do it intentionally. Pete, <laughs> I love how Stacy reveals l- l- little bits about 
real life here in these emails. This is fantastic. Uh, Stacy continues to say the, co- the costume designers on this show continue to kill it. Spock's wedding outfit was amazing. It made this former 90s goth girl's heart very happy. I really like Pike's green dress uniform. His hair, still so tall. And number one's tunic length top with the black panels is very striking. And even Mbenga's great fishing hat. Really, really, really loving this show. Can't believe we're halfway through the season. As always, looking forward to your thoughts. Pete, that from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, and uh, at TrekGirl88 on Twitter. It's hard to believe how rapidly this season is progressing. I'm fearful, Matt, as busy as we're going to be in the next three weeks. Our June boon here is going to make it go even more quickly. Well, Pete, with that, let's head to the wise words of Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 5. I gave the episode a 8 on IMDb. Good episode, I think. Very nice reference back to Amok Time. So TOS Season 2, Episode 1, where Kirk and... um, and fight over to bring. I like to see to bring back uh, what I didn't like that much, or I did like it, but it, the performance could have been better when Spock and to bring switched bodies. It was not so clear that to bring was in Ethan Peck's body and the other way around. They could have made it more clear. On the other hand, these Vulcans are quite neutral in their behavior, so what is typical to bring and what is typical Spock? Perhaps extra difficult in Vulcans to show these differences. The interaction between Spock and Nurse Chapel was uh, fantastic, really, really nice, and also uh, between Chapel and Ortegas. What I found a little silly and perhaps even over the top is the story of Una and Lan. A bit unbelievable that these women do something childish like this. Okay, that will be all. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, it sounded like Fred enjoyed the broad strokes of this episode, but did not like the execution of some of those parts, particularly in the Una Laan portion. I talked about it in our recap. I'll talk about it again now. I I think um, that Ethan Peck and uh, Gia Sandhu did a phenomenal job with uh, imitating one another and you know acting as uh you know the the other performer as another person in their own bodies so uh we're gonna agree to disagree on that one admiral well pete you and i always in agreement of our appreciation for those who go to patreon.com fantastic geek keeping this voyage listener supported even as we head into some busy times in the next couple weeks everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content all sorts of levels to choose from but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door can't contribute get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating in seconds or a review in just a little while longer to any of our 30 podcast feeds 
Let's keep the Star Trek conversation going as we head into the second half of this season. Pete, how can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,530 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we return on Marvel Friday for Ms. Marvel Episode 101. Uh, back Saturday for Star Wars Saturday as we enter the second half of Kenobi. And then back on Star Trek Sunday for the second half of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. What is this existence that we are in? For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all those listeners and give you the final word. I know how a door works.